but I'll tell you what happened. So in the newest movie that came out, The Lone Ranger and Tonto, there's this story, one scene in the movie where the Lone Ranger and Tonto are in a standoff with these really bad dudes, okay? Now, this is really about how the Lone Ranger becomes the Lone Ranger and how he and Tonto become running buddies. But the Lone Ranger, before he was really the Lone Ranger, he thought he could solve crime and fight crime without a gun, okay? He could just use the law and justice. But through the course of time, he realized he's going to need a pistol. And so in this scene, he's standing there, and he has his gun drawn on the bad guys, okay? It's him and, the, him and Tonto, and there's this whole bunch of bad guys in there. And the Lone Ranger, he looks over at Tonto and he goes, you know, I haven't shot a gun in a really long time. And Tonto goes, might want to keep that to self right now, Kimasabi. <laughs> have you ever said something that after it came out of your mouth, you're like, you know, that's probably not the best thing I could have said, right? Who's ever done that? Who's ever put their foot in their mouth? <laughs> and you're like, uh-oh, wish I could bring that one back. Hey, our words are like toothpaste. I heard it said once it comes out. They're not going back in, okay, in the tube. You don't get them back. Well, we've all been there, haven't we? Uh, there's, a, there's a young man in Scripture, and we're going to look at his life today, named Joseph. And Joseph, uh, man, he was a remarkable young man. He had an amazing life, and, and he wasn't perfect, okay? But, but as far as Scripture goes, we can see that he really, uh, he, he did things right. But there's this one incident where we're not sure, but maybe there was a little pride coming out in Joseph. As a young man, he had a couple of dreams, and the first dream there was uh, him and his brothers were out in the field and they were, they were gathering up the harvest and they were bundling the, the grain into sheaves. And his sheave of grain rose up and the other sheaves of grain bowed down to his. Then his second dream, the moon and the sun and 11 stars bowed down to him. And so he shares this with his family. And, and, and it represented... His family bowing down to him, the, the sun and moon was his mom and dad, and then the 11 stars were his brothers. And so the Bible says when he shared this dream that his brothers hated him. And Joseph even, uh, Jacob even got on to Joseph. But the Bible says he, but Jacob pondered these things in his heart. So what he's probably thinking is, might want to keep that to self, son, you know. <laughs> Might not have should have said that one, son. You might have should have should have kept that one uh, to yourself. We're going to look at kind of Jacob's life, as Paul Harvey would say. Today's going to be the rest of the story, continuing on from last week. Well, last week we see in the the dramatic ending of, of Scripture last week that Jacob wrestled with Jesus. And Jesus changed his name to Israel. And you want to think after that point, man, life was just easy street for Jacob and everything was perfect. But I'm here to tell you today, it was not perfect. And when we really take a stand to live for the Lord, life's not going to be perfect and it's not going to be easy. There's no guarantee of that in Scripture. And just to tell you a few things that went on to happen from there is Jacob's wife, Rachel, that he loved, she died giving birth to Benjamin, her second son. And then they go into this, to the land of Canaan. Jacob's daughter is raped. Some of them matters into their own hands, and they kill all the men of Shechem and loot the city and take all the livestock and all the women and children for themselves. So now Jacob is just in despair. Jacob's sons hate Joseph, and Jacob's playing the favoritism game, just like his parents did with him, and he favors Joseph. He loves him above his brothers. It's very obvious. And he makes him a coat of many colors, okay, this ornate robe. And he puts it on him to wear. And you're just thinking, Jacob, 
Man, think about this, you know. So the brothers, they hated him. They hated him because of his dreams. They hated him because of this favoritism from their father and the robe that he wore. And so they devised a plan. And one day, Jacob had sent Joseph out to check on his brothers. They were taking care of the flocks. And as they see him coming, they get a plan. And they say, you know what? Here comes that dreamer. Remember the words that he shared that he probably shouldn't have shared, probably should have kept to himself? And they said, let's kill him. But then Reuben, the oldest, he's like, no, 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 let's just, let's just throw him in his pit. So as he comes, they, they strip him of his robe, and they throw him in the pit. Reuben leaves, and then slave traders come along, and Judah gets the idea. Instead of killing him, let's just sell him so we can make some money off of him. So they sold him for 20 pieces of silver. They take the robe, they mess it up, they pour goat's blood on it, and they take it back to Dad, and they say, is this your son's robe? Jacob sees it, he assumes the worst. And then he says, woe is me, I'm going to go to the grave now in mourning. My life is over. The promises that God had given me are over. He's thinking all hope is lost. You know, let's go to Joseph. His world just turned upside down too. Because now he went from the favored son to he's a prisoner. He, he, he lost his coat of many colors and now he's wearing prisoner clothes. Slave clothes. Maybe he and Jacob are asking the same thing. Why am I here? Today, that's the title of my message. We're all going to find ourselves from time to time in situations that we don't understand. It's a loss, it's a sickness, it's, it's an injury, maybe it's trouble at work. Whatever it is, you can count on trouble sure to come in this world. It's not guaranteed to be easy. But listen, we can learn from Joseph's life today what to do when our world doesn't make sense. All right, the first thing we're going to look at is in Genesis 39, 1 through 9. We're going we're gonna to read Genesis 39. So go ahead and turn there. Some of y'all, you probably already turned to Genesis because you, you knew that I was preaching about Joseph. So maybe you're already there. But we're going to be in 39. It's also on the screen. Let's read verses 1 through 9 this morning. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian, who was one of Pharaoh's officers, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of the Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, has he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Let's pray. Lord, we love you today. For your gift of salvation. We are thankful to be in your house. And again we just lift up your name Lord. Thank you for the, 
the amazing songs today that we just were able to sing to you in adoration of all that you've done for us. Thank you for your grace, your mercy, your love, for the hope of eternal life, for the resurrection. Lord, may we hold on to those things. And when life is difficult, Lord, let us not give up. Today, Lord, I pray that you speak through me with your Holy Spirit. And speak into hearts, Lord, today and change lives as only you can. We love you, Lord, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first lesson we learn from Joseph about what to do when life is out of control is just grow closer to God. Okay? That you know, it's pretty simple. Hey, I'm a simple guy. But listen, stick to the basics. Grow closer to God. No matter what happens, we need to grow. Hey, parents and grandparents, is it amazing how fast your kids grow up? Huh? Raise your hand if you think your kids grow up too fast. Mm-hmm. They grow fast, don't they? But we want our kids to grow. You know, uh, the boys, they always like to, to measure on the wall how tall they're getting. And we got a picture of it there. Now, this is really awesome. I wish that Joy and I would have thought of this because Joy and I, in like two weekends, we painted our whole house on the inside. I mean, we were like, it was crazy, man. We just, we, we painted the whole thing. And Brother Will, we told him about it. He said, and y'all didn't fight? We're like, no, we, we actually we did good, man. We did good. So when a week later, I look, and, and on Eli's door frame, he's marked with a Sharpie, you know, his height, and all the boys have. I was like, oh, man, and it's like, that's pretty cool. You know, who cares, you know? But this person, they were smart because they put it on a board so that, you know, not marking their wall. But we want our kids to grow, right? So then they're like, hey, Dad, let's, let's see how tall you are. I know how tall I am. I'm 5'11 and a half. Emphasis on the half. Okay, when I wear my Nike tennis shoes, I'm six foot. Okay, so they say, Dad, take off your shoes. So I take off my shoes and they start laughing. Eli, Eli's like, Dad, you're only 5'11. I'm like, No, I'm not. Give me that tape. So, what? Man, 5'11? I lost my hair. Now my height? Man, bummer. So I'm going to start wearing my cowboy boots because they have a one-inch sole. All right? That gets me back up to six foot. Okay? We want our kids to grow, though. That's a good thing. We want them to eat and exercise and get sleep, right? So that they'll be healthy. We don't want them just to grow physically. We want, it, we want them to grow spiritually. That's why we bring them to church. That's why we have family make Good choices in front of our kids so they see us flesh out our faith. We want our kids to grow emotionally. You know, we, we, we teach them. We send them to school so that they can learn. We want them to grow socially so they know how to interact and get along with people, right? Are you all with me? But sometimes, listen to me, sometimes we got to push our kids to do hard things. Right? Man, come on. I want some amens here. Don't leave me hanging on this. we got to push our kids because why? Life's not easy. And we got to teach them to toughen up sometimes, to 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 just suck it up a little bit when life is hard and you push on. I'll tell you a story. Wrestling season is over, okay? But So this will be my last wrestling reference for a while. I know y'all are tired of hearing about it, okay? But yesterday was state, so it was... We, we, we have like kind of finally got through state, and we're like, whoo, it's over, okay? And, and you think, well, that's silly. I mean, y'all are crazy. No, I mean, it's intense because your kids have to make their weight. you got to keep them healthy and, and hope that they don't get sick before the tournament. And then the tournament comes, and all day long, man, it's stress. There's blood, sweat, and tears. You know, kids crying, and it's intense. But little Jude, he decided to wrestle this year. You know, and Joy and I, we're like, well, he's our baby. He, he's a baby, man. He, he's not old enough to wrestle yet, but Jude's like, I want to wrestle. 
So he starts practicing. He's doing really good in practice. And then comes the first tournament. And Miss Branch, Jude said, I'm going to sit this one out. I'll just watch. Oh, that's cool. So he watched his brother in a couple tournaments. And then by the third tournament, he said, I'm ready. I'm ready. I think, he was, I think he was watching his competition. See, he'd be watching all the little guys, and he's like, I think I can take them. So his first tournament, man, he goes out there, and I mean, he takes care of business. Comes home, first place, pinned five kids. So now he's kind of thinking, hey, this is no problem. This is easy street. I got this, you know. Well, the next weekend, they combined him up in a heavier weight class. Okay, so he's got to wrestle some bigger boys. So he goes out there, man, beats the first kid, so he's pretty confident. Beats the second kid, pretty good. Third kid comes out, and I knew, Joy and I knew, we, we were in trouble. We've watched this boy, you know, and he's, he's just a little beast. So at the beginning of the match, before the ref started, this little kid, I mean, he's running through his drills. He's doing, doing these up-downs and sit-outs and, and all this stuff. And, I mean, Jude's just watching like, oh, my lands, what have I got into? Joy said he's just kind of rolling his eyes like, oh. It's going to be ugly. And I mean, the rep blows a whistle, and this kid starts tearing Jude up. I mean, he looks like a rag doll flying around. So the next thing you know, Jude's in a headlock, and the first period ends. Luckily, it only lasts a minute, longest minute of my life right there. And Jude's on the ground going, I can't breathe. Yeah, I can't breathe. We're like, Jude, if you're talking, you're breathing, son. You're okay. So he gets up, and you're never supposed to walk off the mat. He comes over to the coach, and I, I can't breathe. And the coach is like, Jude, you're fine. Just get back. And when Jude realizes he's not getting sympathy from me or the coach, he falls down on the mat. Ah, he's screaming, holding his throat. I mean, it's bad. It's ugly. So coach is like, oh, what are we going to do? And then coach goes, I got it. Light bulb goes off in his head. He's dealt with kids. He's a high school coach. I'm like, oh, Coach P's got this, man. He's going to know what to do. It's all good. Because I'm like, I don't know what to do. You know, my other kids never did this. So coach says, Jude, if you're not going to wrestle, you go right out there and you just tell the ref you forfeit and that other kid will get your medal. Coach P said, I'll shame him. Watch this. What's Jude do? Gets up, throats miraculously better, walks up to the riff, grabs his britches leg, pulls on it. I forfeit. <laughs> ah! Comes up to me. Oh, my goodness gracious. Maybe this is a fluke. Happens again the next term, but they combine him two weight classes up. Same thing. Falls out on us. So I text Joy. I was like, you've got to get down here and deal with your kid right now. I can't handle this. I don't know what to do. Fix him. So she gets him, and they have a come to Jesus. Okay? I mean, come to Jesus, and we say, listen, son, we're not going to make you. And this is anointing from the Lord that, that, that God gave Joy. We're not going to ever make you sign up for a tournament. But if you sign up and you want to do it, then you're going to finish. Unless a bone's sticking out. That's anointing. For, that's, that's inspiration from the Holy Spirit right there. So he's all about it when it's winning. It's all fun and games. If it gets a little tough, he's thinking, hey, I, I got this, man. I'll just fall out and, and I'm done. You know, I can get out of this. So we said, listen, if you sign up and then you pull that and you're not really hurt, then you're getting a spanking. Oh, I know. I'm, I'm feeling the hate right now. All the grandparents in the house just said, no, how could you do? You're so mean. All right? But we know if it's real, if it's real pain or if it's drama. And this was drama. Trust me. We were being dramatic. So guess what? Another tournament. Guess what he pulls? He falls out when it got tough. You know, he's all good when he's winning. It got tough. He falls out. He's screaming, crying. 
This time, no sympathy. Grab him up by the arm. And I'm trying to be discreet, you know. But you know when you're really getting aggravated, and I get in his ear, and I said, if you don't get out there and finish that match, I'm taking you to the bathroom right now, and you're going to get a spanking. Of course, I'm saying it quietly, you know. And Jude goes, I don't want a spanking. <laughs> and all the dads are like, yeah, yeah. And so he goes right back out there and finishes the match. You know, it was awesome. But listen, we got to push our kids to do hard things. And after all, the dads are patting me on the back. Good job, man. You handled that right. I said, well, it's all joy. It's all, <laughs> she gets the credit. Listen, here's the deal. God wants us out of our comfort zone. He wants to push us because he wants to use us for great things. With Joseph. So here's Joseph, and he is in the uh, Potiphar's house. Potiphar's the military leader of the whole army of Egypt, and Joseph is his slave. But God bless him. God was with Joseph in everything that he did. And Potiphar noticed this. And Potiphar, he put Joseph in charge of everything in his house so that all he had to worry about was what he was going to eat for dinner. That's a pretty good deal, you know. And so Joseph was taking care of business for him. God bless him. But then, and this is a devil. This is our enemy, man. When life's going good and God's blessing us, hey, get ready. Be on guard because the enemy's going to attack. Make no mistake about it. And he's strategic. And that's what he did. Here comes the enemy. And boy, he's subtle, he's sneaky, but he is powerful and he is accurate. And he knew what would be the greatest temptation for Joseph at this point in his life. He's a young man, he's lonely, he's far from home. And here comes Mrs. Potiphar, and she wants Joseph to sleep with her. But what does Joseph do? Joseph had already resolved in his heart that he was going to live for the Lord. Even though his world was out of control, he knew who he belonged to. And he had already made the decision, I will live for the Lord. So he said, I will not sin against God. And he resisted her. She accused him of rape. Potiphar throws him into prison. Now you would think, man, God's going to bless him because he was obedient. Well, what happened? He got thrown in prison. He could be thinking, well, thanks a lot, Lord. You know, I'm trying to live for you, and then you let this happen to me. But he didn't do that. He didn't have a pity party. You know what jo Joseph did? He grew where he was planted. Wherever God had him in his life, whatever the circumstances were, he said, God, I'm going to live for you. I will honor you no matter what happens. And that's exactly what he did. So he finds himself in prison, but God said he was with Joseph in prison, and he blessed him in everything that he did. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Guess who noticed it? The head jailer. Guess what he did? Put Joseph in charge of everything. So one day along comes two of the king's servants, the cupbearer, and the baker. And so Joseph, he's he's care of him, builds a relationship with him. And one day he notices they're extremely sad. What's wrong, guys? Well, we had we both had a really weird dream, and it's upsetting us because we don't know what it means. So Joseph, you know what he said? He said, Don't dreams belong to God? Can't God give you the interpretation? So he listens to their dreams. Now, the cupbearer, his dream was that there was this vine. And off this vine were three branches, and they budded out into grapes, and he squeezed the grapes into Pharaoh's cup, and Pharaoh drank from the cup. And Joseph said, within three days, you will be restored to your position as cupbearer, and you again will serve Pharaoh. Wow, that's awesome for him. So he's excited. Hallelujah, I'm getting out of prison. I get my job back. Everything's good. Well, the baker hears this, and he dream means Joseph. So he says, I had this dream and there's three baskets of bread on my head and the birds keep coming and they're eating the, the bread out of the basket, the top basket. 
And Joseph says, within three days, Pharaoh will lift your head off and will impale you on a pole and the birds of the air will eat the flesh off of your body. Awkward silence. In three days, it was Pharaoh's birthday and the dreams came to pass. Now Joseph, we see his human side here because he, he is all human, but we see him. He asked the cupbearer, he said, now listen, when you get back to Pharaoh, tell him about me that I'm innocent and get me out of this place. He didn't want to be in prison, you know, but guess what? The cupbearer forgot him. Come on. Can Joseph not catch a break? Guess what, guys? God's not through with him. He's still refining his character to make him what he wanted him to be. So in two years, uh, time passes by. Now Pharaoh has a dream. There's a lot of dreams in these stories. But God's working, and Pharaoh has this crazy dream. In the middle of the night, he has this dream. There's seven really healthy, fat cows. Okay? And then, all of a sudden, along comes seven nasty, ugly, gnarly, hideous, skinny cows, all right? And they eat the fat cows. Now, through some archaeological findings, we actually have a picture of those skinny cows. There it is, right there. Okay, that might have been one of them, not for sure. Uh, so Pharaoh, man, he's just disturbed by this dream. I mean, these are cannibal cows, you know? They're not Chick-fil-A cows, okay? Eat more chicken. They're cannibal cows. They're eating each other. He's like, what does this mean? So he goes back to sleep. And then he has another dream, and there's, there, there's a stalk, and off this stalk sprouts seven full heads of grain. But then another stalk comes up, and there's seven very sparse and, and poor heads of grain, and they devour the, the full heads of grain. He has no idea what it means. He summons all the magicians and, and uh, you know, wise people in his kingdom. Nobody can figure it out. Then the ball that goes off in his head. Oh, yeah. There's a guy in prison. And he can interpret dreams. So here's, here's where we pick up. Joseph uh, is summoned to the Pharaoh. So let's go to Genesis 41, verses 14 through 16. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you, when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then we're going to skip down to verse 25. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Listen, Joseph realized something. Not only did he need to grow, but he needed to give God credit where credit was due. All right? For the blessings in his life and the success in his life, he was going to tell God, or he was going to tell the world, God's the one who's in charge. He's the one that's going to give the blessings. It wasn't about me. You know, life, if we're not careful, uh, it's easy to be about us, right? And, and we want to make life all about me and all about us. And I want you to, I want you to listen to this. Uh, Joy had sent me this that she was doing in one of her daily devotions. And it's by a pastor named Kyle Ottoman. He's written a lot of books and pastors a big church in Kentucky. But he wrote this, and it's so powerful. And, and it's to himself. It's a letter to himself. It's about himself. It's entitled, Dear Me. So I want you to listen closely to this. Dear Me, I've known you for as long as I can remember. I once heard there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And yes, that's us. Though I doubt it's what the proverb was talking about. 
I've been close to a lot of people, but you and me, we have quite an attachment. Looking back, it's fair to say I've treated you pretty well. As a matter of fact, more times than I can count, I put you ahead of anything and everything else. Agreed? As we were growing up, I tried to make sure you were always at the front of the line. I saw to it that you got the biggest cookie on the plate, the best parking spot, the comfiest chair in any room we entered. school, I noticed the little things you liked, and I went after them. You always loved attention, and so I did everything in my power to see that you got it. You still like the spotlight, so I've maneuvered to keep you in its glare. Now that we have the internet, I have more tools. I post only the pictures that show you at your very best. Anybody would think you're living the dream. Have you seen the comments people write about you? When you've struggled or had a hard time, I've done my best to keep that our little secret. I've tried to make you happy. Sure, it was a little easier to keep you happy when you were a cute little tyke. A simple temper tantrum got the job done. Then, as we grew older, I had to be a little more discreet. You wanted to keep winning and getting all the while looking humble and unassuming. That gets tricky, not to mention tiring. As a matter of fact, you never seem to care about the dull stuff, like bills and consequences and what happens tomorrow. I've said more than a few harsh words on your behalf to certain people, and you never warned me about the mess. You never told me I couldn't unsay what I said. I love you, me, but I can't keep living for you. You always insisted that if I just keep you happy, then I'd be happy. As simple as that. But you know what? It's not as simple as that. It never has been. Me, I've let you be in control and sit in the driver's seat, but it's clear you can't be trusted. You keep insisting you know the way we should go, but it always seems to be a dead end. I've looked into some other options and have decided to begin a journey down a different path. It's narrow and difficult, and not many choose it. Choose it but it leads to real and abundant life. However, there is no easy way to say this. I can't take this path if I bring you along. So me, this is the end of you. Sincerely, me. That's pretty clever, isn't it? Wow, but how true that is. You know, Joseph learned something. He had to give God the credit, and the only way to give God the credit was to put me second. Like I said earlier, maybe he struggled a little bit with pride when he was younger, but we see maturity in him. Now he's saying, hey, God's, God's given me the power to interpret these dreams. So we see Joseph, you know, he's making good choices, all right? He, he fought off this temptation for Mrs. Potiphar, so he, he became a man of integrity, and he did the right thing even when nobody was looking. And then when it came time for him to be elevated, he's like, it's not about me. It's about the Lord. So what happens? Pharaoh is pleased Pharaoh realizes this man has the wisdom of God in him. And so jo uh, Joseph says, you know, if I were you, Pharaoh, I would appoint somebody who could oversee harvesting the grain because there's going to be seven years of plenty in the land. So you need to set back 20% of all the crop so that in the seven years of famine that are going to follow, there'll be enough food for everyone to live. Pharaoh's like, well, who is more understanding and wise than this guy? Let's put him in charge. So right then, Joseph goes from the prison to the palace. Okay? He is now prime minister in command of the entire land of Egypt. That's amazing, isn't it? And so Pharaoh, you know what he does? 
He gives him a ring. He gives him a gold chain to wear around his neck. And he gives him a robe. You see, he got a new robe. He got a kingly robe. And then he put him in his chariot and he proclaimed him second command. But you know what Joseph did? He didn't parade around and make it all about himself. The Bible says he went to work. He went straight to work. God had given him a mission and now he was going to be about it. And he was on task. So guess what? God used him to do awesome things. He was a man of wisdom because he said no to self and he put God first. Listen, guys, application for us, life isn't about me. Life is about Jesus. And when we figure that out, we've gained some wisdom in our life. But you know what? That's difficult to live out. It's easy to say, right? Easy to say up here, but every single one of us, we struggle with me, don't we? We struggle with being selfish. We struggle with putting ourselves first. But guess what? we got to daily die to self and live for Jesus. It's a daily battle. And when great things happen in your life, hey, don't let pride come in. Don't let pride fill you up. You stay humble and you say, hey, it's about the Lord. Anything that good happens, it's from Him. So from Joseph, we see we need to get closer to God. Just grow in our faith. Make good choices. Say no when temptation comes. We need to, we need to give out grace. That's the next thing I want to talk to you about. We need to give out grace. Let's go to Genesis 50, verses 15 through 21. It's the best part of the story right here. So hang with me, okay? Are y'all still awake? All right, I don't want you going to sleep because you're going to miss the best part, all right? Genesis 50, and we're going to read 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if Joseph holds a grudge against us? And pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him. So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. Forgive your brothers and the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of your servants of God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly. Wow. When we pour out God's grace upon people, it is amazing what can happen. All right. The other day we were we were collecting money uh, for our state tournament uh, for the little wrestlers, and I was I had all the parents' money, and I put it all in my wallet because I didn't want to lose it, and I was going to give it to coach at the end of practice. And so at the end of practice, I walk up to coach and I open up my wallet, and man, there's dollar bills everywhere. And our assistant coach is like, "Whoa, you know?" He's like, "Make it rain, man." He's going to throw the money up in the air. People get happy if if it was raining, you know, hundred dollar bills from the sky would would that make y'all pretty excited? You get pretty excited, right? Well, you know what's better than that? You know what's better than that? When we give out God's grace. Wow. When we give out God's forgiveness. So let's look at what happened with Joseph. So here's Joseph. And the famine spreads to all the land. All right. So Joseph's now, he's, you know, he's in his 30s. Uh, he's 30, at least 37 years old because the, the famine has hit. And it went into all the world. So I just wonder if Joseph wasn't in the back of his mind watching the horizon, just wondering, what if they show up? So let's go back to Jacob. Here he is. Remember, he's a man of mourning. He thinks all hope is lost. Now there's a famine. You know, and oh, it's still woe is me. And he tells his boys, he's like, you go get food in Egypt. But he keeps Benjamin behind. He's still playing the favorite game. 
So the, the ten brothers, they come to Egypt and Joseph sees them. But they don't recognize him because he's dressed like an Egyptian. And he's using an interpreter and he speaks harshly to them. And you may think, well, man, was he, just, was he being mean to them? Is he taking out a little you know, aggression on them, paying them back a little bit? I don't think so, because he, I think he had a plan, too. Jacob and Rebecca, we learned last week, they were schemers, weren't they? But I think Joseph was very strategic, but I think he was testing his brothers to see, had they learned, had they grown, had they changed? So he put them to a, a test and a series of tests, okay? So he speaks harshly to them, and he says, y'all are spies. And they're like, no, we're honest men. <laughs> That's an interesting uh, thing for them to say. Yeah, we're honest men. So their brother and he's like, well, tell me about your family. So, man, it's like they're under the white light, and they just spill the beans. Well, we have one brother who is no more. And how ironic that they're talking to that brother. And then we have another brother who's at home, and then our father's at home, and he's an old man. And so Joseph takes all this in, and he says, well, you're spies. You're going to jail. So he throws them in jail for three days. And then he, t- he sends them all home except for Simon. You can't come back unless you bring your youngest brother back. And like, you don't understand, our dad will never let that happen, and he'll die if anything happens to that boy. And he's like, well, that's the deal. So they go back home, and dad's like, absolutely not. You're not taking Jake, uh, Benjamin, no way. I can't lose him too. Then I'll have no more kids. The others are like, well, what about us, you know? Wow. So guess what? Finally, uh, Judah convinces Jacob, let me take him. I'll be responsible. So they go back. And Joseph, he plays some mind games with them. He does. And he, uh, he, he sets them all at the table in order from oldest to youngest. And they're all amazed. And then he gives Benjamin five times as much food. And they're just, they can't believe it. And then he, he sends them on their journey, but he puts all their money back in their, in their bag, bags of grain that they came to buy grain with. And he puts his silver cup in Benjamin's sack. So it looks like Benjamin has stolen the king's cup. And so after they get out of the kingdom... Joseph sends a servant after him. They bring him all back, and, and he's like, you stole from me. You know, and the brothers are distraught because now they're like, no, you, know, you can't take Benjamin as a slave. And so Judah's like, just take my place. Take my place. You know, I'll, take, I'll, take, I'll go to prison. Let Benjamin free. Remember, Judah's the one that actually sold him into slavery. So Joseph had to test them to see had their hearts changed. And at this point, Joseph sends all the Egyptians away. And the Bible says he wept so loudly that all the Egyptians heard him. You see, he'd been carrying around all this pain. His life was an easy street, and he had a lot of scars and hurt. But guess what? At that moment, then he reveals himself to his brothers, and they are terrified because they're like, we thought he was dead. He's going to kill us, you know. And so Joseph's like, listen, man, I love you guys. It's all okay. And he sends them back to get Jacob. Now, remember, let's go back to Jacob. He thinks all hope is lost, right? He's lost sight of God's promise. And so when he hears the news that Joseph is alive, he doesn't believe it. And so then it says his spirit revived, and he saw all the carts, the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to retrieve the family. He was so excited, so they go, and there's this huge reunion. Listen, guys, the promise was restored. The promise was fulfilled, and Jacob got to live for 17 years in Egypt in the best land. Grow and be fruitful, and he got reunited with Joseph. But listen to me, if Joseph wouldn't have been a person who extended God's grace, this would not have happened. You see, Joseph could have sought revenge instead of reconciliation. And if that would have happened, guess what? This family would have been blown apart forever. But Joseph, he said, I'm going to do this God's way, and I'm going to give out forgiveness. And guess what? God blessed because of that. Uh, I'm going to read just 
just this last statement he made to his, his brothers. I'm going to read this again in verse 19. Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Do you see it all coming true now? Listen, God showed up. Jacob thought it, that all hope was gone. Joseph lived a life of pain. The brothers were carrying around all this guilt. You know, it's interesting because they, they just felt like that God was punishing them through all these tests that, you know, when they were put in jail and everything, they thought, man, God's punishing us because of what we did to Joseph. They carried that around all their life. They were, they were haunted by that. But guess what? The forgiveness that Joseph granted to his brothers, it eased that. Now, not that he's God. He's not in the place to forgive. But listen to me today. Jesus is. He is the forgiver. Joseph was just a man that God did some great things through. But guess what? Because he extended forgiveness to this family, the line of Jacob was preserved. Particularly Judah, who would come from his line, would come the Messiah. And that's what it's about right here, guys. This is the best part. Because listen, today, here's what Jesus offers for us. Maybe today we're walking around and life has gotten difficult and we've lost some hope. Maybe some, just some hard things have happened to us and we're feeling beat down. And that's, that life does that to us sometimes. But listen, today, because of Jesus and the hope of eternal life, we can have confidence that God is going to come through. God came through. For Joseph, God came through for the brothers, and God has came through for us because he sent Jesus to be our Savior. And when Jesus died on the cross and was buried in the tomb and rose on the third day, he came through. And his promises are true, and nothing can stop that. No power can stand against him. So today, maybe you're carrying around guilt like the brothers because you've done some things and it's haunting you. Well, listen, today, you can get rid of the guilt. You can let it go because Jesus says, I'm going to give you a robe of righteousness. He's going to put his righteousness around us. Filthy rags. Jesus is going to remove that. He puts his robe on us, and we have eternal life. Guess what, guys? One day, all the pain here, it's going to be over, and we will see Jesus face to face. And we'll have a resurrection body, and we will worship with him. We will worship him forever and ever alongside of all believers. All believers. There's going to be this huge reunion, and we'll be reunited with those in Christ who have gone on before us. Guys, get excited about that. That's something to look forward to. We can be fired up about it. We can be happy. We don't have to lose hope. So today, wherever you're at, don't lose hope. Don't give up.